everyday lives. So in G- we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this morning's scripture reading is from Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 12 to chapter 2, verse 1. Please open up your Bibles and read along with me. I think the verse would be up on there as well. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and and you will not hear? O cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, and strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteousness, so justice goes from forth perverted. Look amongst the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing your, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, <laughs> that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize the dwellings not on their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their houses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press, on, press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. This word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. I just have um, the pleasure of inviting up Clement, um, who is a ministry apprentice at Grace Point Presbyterian Church, a church that's really been helping us and partnering with us over the last year um, in joining the presbytery. But yeah. Welcome, Clement. Thank you for uh, joining yeah. us today. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so, yeah, as uh, introduced by Kevin, my name is Clement. Uh, for those of you who haven't uh, met me, minister in training at Grace Point. Used to be a little bit of a background. Uh, I used to work as a teacher. I worked as a teacher for three years, and then uh, God called me to explore, or at least to go into full-time vocational ministry. And so I'm almost at the end of my two-year apprenticeship, and next year I'll be conducting my full-time theological studies. I'm here with my wife, Rebecca. We got married early this year. Um, so, yeah, like, please uh, welcome my wife as well. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of my supporters, she is one of my greatest supporters. So, like, a lot of what I do comes from her as well. So, yeah. Uh, join with me, church, as we pray and commit, uh, come to the Lord in prayer as well. Father God, we thank you so much for this time where we're able to hear the preaching of your word from scripture. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much that your word is living and active. And so, Father, whatever uh, burdens and worries that we carry, we come before you and we lay it all before you. And so we ask, Lord, that through your spirit you may prepare our hearts to 
receive your word and have the Holy Spirit seal these truths into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, back when I was a teacher, uh, my students tried to get me into playing chess. Anyone chess players here by any chance? Okay, just one? Okay. <laughs> it was during the time where, you know, like, you know, heard of the show Queen's Gambit? Yeah, yeah, everybody's heard of that show. And so it was during a time where people were wi uh, riding the wave of Queen's Gambit. And so, you know, I decided to give it a try, right? I want to connect with my kids. And so uh, I did it. And a few months later, I gave up. Uh, and granted, it wasn't because I didn't get the game, right? But please don't test me. Uh, but it was because I was very discouraged. Because have you ever played against someone who's not just good at chess, but so good that they use your very moves against you. You know, there were moments where I thought I was winning. You know, I got your king corner. Ah, yeah, yeah, you're done now. And then two moves later, they checkmate me. And it's like, what? What's going on? So it turns out they were in control this whole time. And I was just a pawn in their hands. And so at that point, I was wondering, like, I should just give up, right? Because if, you, if it were you, would you even want to keep playing against them anymore? Wouldn't you rather have the assurance of being on their side as opposed to going against them? And friends, as we come to the book of Habakkuk, we can be confident that we have the same assurance. The assurance of knowing that someone is in control and we can be on his side. In, in a world where we are often faced with things beyond our control, you know, things that make us grieve and makes us lose hope, knowing that someone's in control, Knowing that someone has everything in the palm of his hands, that is the light that gives us peace and confidence. And so we're going to dive into the first portion of Habakkuk, and the following points will guide our exploration of the passage, right? So three points for today. The mystery we face, the mystery we face, the might we see, the might we see, and the modesty we need, the modesty we need. And we will see how under God, the power of evil becomes nothing more than a pawn in his hands. The power of evil becomes nothing more than a pawn in his hands. So join with me, uh, come to me uh, to point one. And just to give us a brief introduction of the book, um, as you guys know, the start of the passage says that Habakkuk, or oracle from Habakkuk the prophet. And apart from the author, it's really hard and difficult to pinpoint when it was written. Uh, the only hints that we got is that it mentions the impending invasion of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. And that was roughly around 597 BC. And so that was roughly what we know about its time frame. And it's a relatively short book. And right off the bat, in verses 2 to 4, we're given a general view as to how God's people, the Israelites, were going. And if you've read the passage just then, you'll know that, boy, things weren't going so well. And what we learn is that things are absolutely messed up. And so if you have your Bibles, like look at verse 3 with me. Verse 3 reads, Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abound. Sorry, this is, I think this is the NIV version, so forgive me. If, oh, is it the ESV? Might be the ESV. And so you can see, what is meant to be a peaceful, great nation ruled by a king is descended into chaos. And the worst part is, for those who live during that time, they can count on nothing to save them. Because what verse 4 tells us, at the beginning of verse 4 at least, is that the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. 
what it was showing was this. People were taken advantage of, and those who upheld the law, they did nothing. People were being abused, and the courts never gave them the justice they deserved. The law became some sort of scarecrow, right? You might be terrified of it at the start, but once you get used to it, you no longer have to fear it, and you just do whatever you want. And so the righteous people of God, they were paralyzed, they were trapped. They can do nothing and nothing but watch as people would abuse and take advantage of, and the wicked became more powerful and destructive. You know, with things being this messed up, you, we can honestly feel the desperation of Habakkuk. You know, like surely this is a time where it calls for divine intervention, right? Nothing short of a supernatural solution, the mighty judgment of God. That is what can solve this issue. Yet at the beginning of Habakkuk, it shows us this sort of mystery that Habakkuk has to wrestle with. And church, like we need to pay attention closely because this is the sort of mystery that we deal with as a people of God. Firstly, there's the mystery of God's silence. The mystery of God's silence. Because notice verse 2. You know, like if you look, have your Bibles, look at verse 2. Look at how Habakkuk starts. He says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, and you do not save? What we can see is that this is clearly not the first time that Habakkuk raised this issue. Perhaps, you know, day after day, night after night, he has been at the foot of his bed crying, praying, begging God for a response, a sign, a shooting star, skywriting, anything, right? And yet God's response? Crickets. Not just for an hour, not just for a day, but perhaps days, if not months or years. And now this wouldn't sit well with you and I at all, right? Because it's just imagine with me, right? You go shopping at Westfields, and you see someone robbing a store and verbally abusing the cashier, and the management and security, they stand back and do nothing. You know, and you'll be thinking, oh, how can you stand there and not do anything? Surely there's something wrong, right? Like, aren't you guys going to do something? How can you tolerate this kind of behavior in your store to your own people? And that's the same question that Habakkuk is asking God. How can you, God, stand by and do nothing while your people suffer and evil is rampant in your society? How can you, God, let bad people get away with things while good people suffer more and more? Is it too much for you uh, to ask for you to intervene? Or are you showing us that you tolerate all of this? That's Habakkuk's accusation. And yet, Habakkuk reflects on another mystery, right? It's not just the mystery of God's silence. It's the mystery of God's action. Because if we look at a verse, verse 5 to 11, it records God's answers. And, you know, I imagine if that had phones back then, this would be great, right? Finally, after all this time, God is replying. Yeah? You, you know, you hate it when people don't reply to your messages. You've been waiting and waiting. And finally, on your screen, the three dots show that they're typing a message. It's like, oh, great. He's replying now. Oh, what a relief. God is actually giving us an answer. I wonder how he's going to deal with this situation. You know, like, could he be dealing with the situation by finding a more fair and competent judge? You know, perhaps sending in the military to kill all the bad guys and, or put them in prison? Or give us a government that can finally put things 
back together, to put things back on track. Yet God's answer is this. If you have your Bibles, look at verse 6 with me. Verse 6, it says, I am raising up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, the ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth and seize dwellings not their own. In other words, God's solution is a powerful, ruthless nation from the north who will bring judgment on his people. You know, for Habakkuk, this is a, this is a bit of a jaw drop moment. And we're not going to dive into the rest of the chapter for today, but you can imagine by receiving God's answer how shocked they will be. be. Right? It, it, it doesn't make sense. You know, we've got to remember, like, in ancient times, there were many superpowers that were reigning supreme. And so currently in our modern world, like, the superpowers mainly are generally the big three, you know, China, Russia, U.S., Back then, there were a few superpowers, and Babylon was one of them. And you can imagine the shock for Habakkuk, because firstly, this is not what God asked for. You know, like you know, Habakkuk was thinking, Lord, why would you bring in a nation? Hey, I asked for maybe perhaps a few targeted missiles on the people that are responsible. I didn't ask for a nuclear bomb on the whole area, right? So for one, this is not what Habakkuk asked for, but for another... It just didn't make sense for God to use the Babylonians. Like, it made more sense if God were to send a godlier, maybe more faithful nation to judge his people. But look at how the Babylonians were described, the reputation that they have. You know, according to verse 10 to 11, I'm going to give you a brief summary. They mock kings. They laugh at fortified cities. Guilty people whose own strength is their gods. In other words, these guys are not holy in any given rate. They were arrogant. They were violent. They were godless pagans. And it, it, it's so messed up. It's like asking a mass murderer to judge a case of homicide. Or it's like asking a cheater to judge someone else for being unfaithful. It's just how messed up it is. So it seems like God's solution to evil is even more evil. Perhaps it was better that God remained silent. Like you can imagine Habakkuk's world falling apart at this point. Like things are bad enough at home and now God is raising a tsunami of a nation to come and wipe them out. And you have a chance to read on and you will see that Habakkuk is going to question God on why he decided to fight a small fire with a bigger fire. But for now, come with me to point two. Because as God's people, we can be honest. Whether or not you've been a Christian for a while or someone who's new or still exploring the faith, we have to admit that often or not, we are confused by God, aren't we? Because if God is in control, why does he allow for things to happen the way that they do? Or when we are suffering and facing some sort of evil in our lives, you know, the more we ask, why is God doing things the way that he's doing? You know, for example, some of you may have heard of Elizabeth Elliot. You know, she's a famous Christian author, missionary speaker. And in 1965, her husband, Jim Elliot, he was killed by native, uh, native tribesmen in Ecuador. 
And they were killed when they were first attempting to make contact with them, to share the good news of Jesus. And we look at that situation and we go, why? Why did that happen? What was God doing at this point? Or let us bring, us, uh, bring it closer to home, right? Why did God allow one of my church members' dad to pass away from cancer? And one of my friends went through a period where he thought he was diagnosed with a heart condition. And he was asking, why? Why him? Why him of all people? And perhaps, brothers and sisters, you may have a similar question. Why did God allow one of my friends to go through depression and suicidal ideation? Why did God cause me to go through depression and anxiety day by day? Why did God cause my parents to separate and leave my family to pick up the broken pieces? Why? Why after why after why? We're asking these questions because we just are confused. There are many things that do not make sense to us in God's world. His silence, God's silence, God's actions in the world just doesn't make sense. Why does he allow things to happen? What is God doing to fix things? Why isn't he doing it now? Why is he doing it this way and not that way? Church, like Habakkuk, you and I want to know so badly what God is up to. We want to know the answer. We, we want to know to find some sort of peace, some sort of assurance. But as we think further, there are three things that I'd like us to reflect on especially in light of the passage. Firstly, we may never have the answer as to why. We may never have the answer as to why. Because you, all of us are no strangers to suffering. And you know what makes going through suffering especially painful? Not knowing why. And so we go into speculation mode, don't we? You know, let, my fr- uh, let me use my friend with a heart condition as an example and uh, just to clarify, he's fine now. He doesn't have that condition anymore. But back when, uh, back when he thought he wasn't fine, it was easy to speculate. You know, if God is in control, why is this happening to him? Was it because God is punishing him for breaking the hearts of girls? Uh, was it because God is teaching him to be more resilient and tough in life? Was it because God was preparing him to care for those who might go through the same thing? And you know, but like perhaps of the hundreds of guesses that my friend and I made, maybe one of them or two of them may be true. But the answer is, we just don't know. You see, all we can do is guess. Because if 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 is true, that no man, no man on earth knows the mind of God, we need to admit our limitations as human beings. As much as we want to know, God doesn't necessarily reveal all the reasons as to why he directs things one way and not the other. And that is why, um, as a side note, for those of you who are currently walking with people who are suffering, don't make the same mistake I the time in trying to guess the reasons for their suffering. Unless God reveals it directly through Scripture, best not to assume that we know. But yet still, that makes it incredibly frustrating, doesn't it? But that leads me to our second reflection, which is the assumption we will be satisfied knowing why. We all assume we will be satisfied knowing why. Recently, a bunch of my friends finished watching the Barbie movie. Uh, Anyone watch the Barbie movie? It was all right, right? Yeah. 
And don't worry, like for those of you who still haven't watched it, I'm not going to spoil anything, but if I do, it's your fault. Uh, you should have watched the movie by now. Now, because of the controversial nature of the movie, there are plenty of what I call, uh, if I were the director, comments, right? Yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you come out of the uh, cinemas with your friends, you're talking about it, and there's always that one guy or one girl who's like, oh, you know, I don't like the way Ken was shown in the movie. Oh, that ending doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, if I were the director, I would have cast Henry Golding instead of Simu Liu as the Asian Ken, right? <laughs> if I were the director comments, when it comes to movies, we feel like we have a better opinion as to uh, what would make the movie better, right? And yet, friends, isn't that similar to the way we look at our own lives? Because if our lives are a movie, we often want to put ourselves in the director's chair. If our lives are a movie, we often want to put ourselves in the director's chair. We assume that we know exactly how our lives should play out and what is beneficial, what's not beneficial for us. And so when God allows some sort of pain and suffering into our lives, we question God. After all, God is not getting this right, right? He may have experienced directing world events, but man, I have experienced directing my own life. I know what's best for me. So he needs my help. I need to tell him through prayer, right? Yet friends, as, as someone who's attempted to sit on that director's chair many times, I want us to be sober about this. Even if we know why. Even if we know why God directs our lives a certain way, we won't be satisfied. We overestimate our own human wisdom. We might think we know better, but telling God how to run the world or run our own lives is like a toddler telling a car mechanic how to fix his car. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, uh, Clement, I, I get it. You're basically telling me that anytime me or someone else goes through suffering, we, just, we should just suck it up, right? Like, get out of God's way. Bear with it. Like, don't complain, don't grumble, and just go with the flow. Let Jesus take the wheel, whatever. But uh, let me make it clear. No, absolutely not. Uh, this is not what I'm saying. Because if you read the rest of Habakkuk or other parts of the Bible, especially the Psalms, you'll know that there is a place for genuine honesty. Like, when things are tough, when things are really difficult, we are not expected to just stay silent. God shows us through His word, uh, word that we can be honest in terms of how terrible things are, how difficult things are. And God welcomes us as His children, coming to Him, prayerfully telling Him, God, this sucks right now. But for now, I just want to encourage us to be sober and realistic about our own wisdom. Friends, because we're human and we're not God, we're just limited in terms of what we can know is better. But thirdly, we can trust the God behind the why. We can trust the God behind the why. Because friends, we join Habakkuk as one of the many people who are confused about God's plan. And things get progressively worse. It's easy to throw in the towel and despair. But friends, the Bible shows us that evil and suffering does not have the final say. Evil and suffering may seem to be winning, but... God has the upper hand all along. You see, where, where do we see this? We see this in the life of God's own Son, Jesus. Now, church, think with me for a moment. 
Jesus entered a world where the wicked hemmed the righteous in, where justice is perverted and conflict abounded. With Jesus being the Son of God, we expect Him to receive praise, but He received pity. We expected triumph, we saw apparent defeat. His very own people, the religious authorities of that time, they put Him through a kangaroo court and hung Him on the cross to be killed. And when we read through the accounts of Jesus' crucifixion, we look at it and we think, join the world in thinking, evil has won. Yet the Bible has this to say. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Acts chapter 2, verse 23, it reads, This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. And brothers and sisters, as we see this, we are meant to realize that Jesus' death was not a tragedy. Jesus' death was by design. You see, the religious figures of that time, they thought they were getting rid of a rival. The government thought that they were in control this whole time. Jesus' followers thought that God's Savior was destroyed. No hope, no, no hope, no like dream their dreams are shattered but all of this was part of god's rescue plan for his people you know however unjust the cross is god's plan to satisfy his own judgment so that those who trust in him can be free of the guilt and power of evil in their hearts and so friends god is the ultimate chess master and the cross is god's checkmate against evil. Let me say that again. God is the ultimate chess master and the cross is God's checkmate against evil. You know, under God, the power of evil becomes nothing more than a pawn in God's hands. So that even though we do not have all the answers for ourselves, we know that when we trust in Jesus, we can be assured that He has won. Evil does not have a final say. Come with me to point three. As we come to our final point, there are a few implications that we can take away from this very first part of Habakkuk. Firstly, be content with mystery. Be content with mystery. You know, just as Habakkuk didn't know why God raised the Babylonians to judge them, friends, we may not understand why God allows hardship into our lives. You know, it can be in the form of conflict, it can be in the form of some sort of suffering. It can be in the form of disease, discipline, and many other things that will cause us pain. And we may not know why God will do such a thing. And his silence and his actions is just a mystery. So like Habakkuk, we pray, we grieve, and we cry to God. Years after her husband's death, Elizabeth Elliot sat in front of one of the natives. And... As I read her autobiography, it was, it was interesting to imagine what it would be like to sit in front the very, of the very person, listening to them and recount the time that they threw a spear in the person that you love. And perhaps as she was listening to the account of this native uh, talking about the death of her husband, she might have thought, what did these missionaries do wrong? All they wanted was to bring the word of God to people so that they can be saved. 
you know, could God have stopped them? Yes. Did he? No. Why didn't he? Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot would not be able to tell you, and neither could I. But what she reflected on is this. Mystery is something we must all come to terms with. Because for her, if God were small enough to be understood, he would not be big enough to be worshipped. If God were small enough to be understood, he would not be big enough to be worshipped. You know, God is beyond space, time, and matter. He sees all. He knows all. His wisdom and his power means that he can decree everything, including evil, as part of his plans and purposes. And so if we do not understand what God is doing, it's, it doesn't mean that he's doing something wrong. We're just limited by the amount of things we do not see and do not know. Yeah, friends, I know that that's going to be not that much of a comfort. It is one thing to know that someone is in control. It's another to trust that they have your best interest in heart. And that leads me to our final implication. Be confident with the good he brings. Be confident with the good that he brings. Uh, uh, back in my high school days, so I, I studied here in Australia back in 2009, uh, and, and I went to an agricultural school. And we used to help... The, uh, yeah. Okay, I don't know which one you're thinking of, but it's the other one, not the, not the really, really good one. <laughs> we, so we used to help with vaccinating sheep. And that means that we have to catch the sheep, we have to throw, it, oh, throw them. And when I say throw them, I mean not throw them, but bend them over and lay them on their backs. And we, uh, we, the sheep would freak out, like they're lying on their backs. And as I'm looking at the sheep, I, I can imagine what they were thinking, right? Oh my goodness, like, why is this man separating me from my friends? Why is he throwing me on my back? Why is he shoving a syringe up my mouth? Oh, it tastes disgusting. Oh, why is he feeding me? Why did he do that? Why? Stop. So here's the thing. From the sheep's perspective, I'm killing it. I'm abusing it. I'm doing whatever I want with it. But what they don't understand is, is that if we didn't vaccinate them, they will get eaten alive from the inside by parasites. And friends, yes, we wonder why God allows us to go through things, but even though we may not know why, we only need to look to Jesus to be certain that none of it is meant to harm us. None of it is meaningless suffering. Because if the cross is the ultimate sign of checkmate against evil, what it means is that no matter what happens, no matter how painful or how uncertain we are, God works all things for the good of those who love him. God works all things, including evil, including pain, including suffering, for those who have been called according to his purpose. And friends, how many of us know of brothers and sisters over the years who have testified that during seasons of pain and suffering, they have learned to endure in their hardship and grow in their character. You know, despite losing her husband years ago, God used Elizabeth Elliot and a few others to bring some of the indigenous members to faith. Even in herself, she grew in her own faith to trust in a God who cannot lie and who showed her what love and obedience and sacrifice is. And that was true of, uh, for me personally as well. 
you know, before I met my wife, I was in a relationship where I was unfaithful. And what followed was years of depression, guilt, and shame. I hated myself. I hated the st- my story. I hated my life. And I wish that God directed it some other way. And even as I wrestled through the pain and the guilt and the depression, I thought and I was absolutely confident that God was punishing me for my unfaithfulness. That I deserved to be miserable and alone for the rest of my life. Looking back years later, um, not that I wouldn't change anything, but I would be content with the way things have occurred. Because because of that, I learned about God's love despite being unlovable. I learned about forgiveness and a new life offered by Jesus. I learned about my own idolatry of relationships within my heart. And over the course of the years, as I processed and wrestled, there was a weekend where God gave me the opportunity to share a word of encouragement to someone who was wrestling with the same guilt. That is what it means to have faith as we face evil and suffering in our lives. God is wise and powerful, and it means that God will always choose the best goals and the best means to those goals. And friends, wherever you may be, whatever struggle that you're holding on to or whatever pain you're going through, since the cross is God's checkmate against evil, we can be confident that everything in our lives is nothing but a pawn in God's hands for our good. Please join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder and the encouragement and the challenge that we've received today. Because, Father, we, we admit it's, it's hard to see what you're doing in our world. We, many of us face pain and suffering within our own lives. Many of us see the pain and suffering that other people are facing in their own lives, the friends of a lo- uh, our friends, our loved ones, our family members, and we, we find it difficult to trust that something good will come out of it. We find it difficult to see what you're doing, but Lord, as we look to the cross, we see that the cross is the checkmate, the ultimate checkmate against evil. And that evil and suffering do not have the final say because of our Lord Jesus who gave his life on the cross for us. And so, Father, give us the confidence and the faith to hold on to this. Give us the honesty to come before you and admit how difficult things are. You're not surprised. But also give us the faith to trust that you know the best outcome and you have the best means to those outcomes. Help us remember today, tomorrow, forever, that we can be confident that everything, including evil, is nothing more but a pawn in your hands for our good. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.